Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Samuels, and this is another episode of Coffee and Liquidity, the podcast that sits nicely at the intersection of curiosity and business. The American dream can mean so many different things to so many different people. There's no one right answer. There's no one right path forward. But let's talk about ways to set yourself up and your family up for financial freedom in the future. Coffee and liquidity, back at it. I've actually stopped counting what episode number this is, but we're we've uh, we're into it now. Uh, you know, in, in the double digits. Really looking forward to bringing on a couple of uh, co-founders of Matador.com. For those that may be familiar with Matador Resources, this is not that. This is a SaaS company out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, the co-founders, Vincent Lam and Sean Huang. Vincent is also the CEO, and Sean Sean is the head of business development. Sean was telling me a little bit before we uh, launched the. Uh, uh, you know the podcast today that they are actually looking to expand their scope, take a little bit more of a of a U.S. facing uh, operation, and get some people um, potentially to work uh, under the Matador uh, frame with them, maybe in Texas or some of the other markets in the country. Looking forward to talking about you know, what they've got going on, some really exciting things for those that are listening today. If you're familiar with the Y Combinator. Matador is a is a a veteran of that at this point went through that successfully and was able to um to raise uh, raise a seed round through that. Uh, with that, going to go ahead and bring on Sean and Vincent. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Hey Ben, appreciate you guys taking the time uh, and and joining me today. Vincent, why don't we start with you? You know, before we get started, really, I'd love to kind of get a just a, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of um and then if you want to start off with the story of sort of how Matador came to be, what was what was sort of you know, you and Sean were sitting around at some point, had this idea. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the genesis of Matador, if you would. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, every, hi everyone, my name is Vincent. I always call myself uh, the geek in the room, if you will. <laughs> always uh, excited and passionate about um, building products. Uh, that's my, I guess, my nature. I started off my career as a uh, software developer. Um, I worked at a few, uh, you know, enterprise company like Nortel and Google. And, um, and then slowly work my way into product management, like uh, take, taking more on the, uh, trying to solve the problem, more business problem rather than the technical problem side of things. Mm-hmm. So um, later, like after Google, after working for Google for three years, that was the time when I was doing a, uh, leading a team there at a Google Earth. Um, that's when I have a bit of experience uh, working with GIS uh, technology. So for those uh, who are not familiar with GIS, it's, basically maps like mm-hmm. anything related to the map mapping information and then after working with uh with google Earth a bit i moved on to um the soul systems in their mining division and um there i start talking to a lot of uh, users and, and field engineers and professionals like people working out in the sites um who kept complaining about how difficult it is to access information uh, about uh, on their location-based projects. So uh, many of these professionals, they are dealing with like tens, hundreds, or even thousands of location at a, at a, at a given time. And so that kind of gave me the idea of, hey, uh, you know, why not bring both the mapping, uh, the best of mapping and the project management into a, a unique solution and uh, trying to address this problem for good. So that was essentially the genesis of uh, Matador and the idea comes about, you know, uh, Matador itself, it's a project management platform that is living on a live map, essentially. That, that's great, I appreciate that. Um, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about, well, um, 
I'm going to go ahead and pull up uh, the the website here and, and just kind of walk through a couple. Of, I'm just going to kind of scroll through the homepage. Why don't you tell us, talk to us a little bit about you know, how long has Matador been um, been around? And, and yeah, what are some of the core competencies? Lay, lay the groundwork for us, if you would. Yeah, so we started Matador about uh, two years ago, and um, we spent a lot of time in, at the beginning and uh, you know, talking to users, validating our assumption is our assumption is that you know having a map supporting the project management operation is going to be needed by a lot of the location-based uh, companies. And mm -hmm. we have a bit of a, a setback uh, initially. You know, we tried to put too much into it. We even tried, uh, you know, creating uh, virtual reality and augmented reality as part of the, the offering as well, and ended up having to scale back and look at just the core part of uh, this business problem, which is as simple as collaborating and, and access information. Um, what Matador addresses is that um, a lot of these company uh, and the field, you know, professionals, they are dealing with complex systems, spreadsheets, um, GIS mapping systems at a, uh, at a same time. So trying to find something about a location can mean, you know, having to access five, six, or even seven different tools. And so when you multiply that by tens, hundreds of even thousands of locations, it almost becomes, you know, impossible to do it efficiently. So Matador becomes that all in one single, you know, platform for them to access everything within just a couple of clicks. And which makes it super easy for, you know, uh, users to actually share amongst uh, their own team and with their clients and uh, and even their vendors as well. So yeah, we have started uh, Matador. We launched Matador, the product itself, about a year ago, and since then we have been working with uh, you know environmental companies, energy companies, and um, most recently you know civil engineering and agriculture company as well. Yeah, so uh, basically that's uh, that's where we're at right now. Um, and I guess we can go into a little further later on. Um, we we're lucky enough to get into you know um, uh, accelerator programs like Y Combinator and receive a lot of support and mentorship from them as well. That's fantastic. Appreciate that. Actually, Sean, that's a, that's a great place to, to bring in the conversation here. Talk to me about um, some of that experience. What was that like? Um, you know, for those that are not familiar, if you would uh, you know, define Y Combinator and some of these other accelerators, give us kind of what that is a little bit. And then talk to us about what was you know, maybe the, I don't know if this is the right technology, but the onboarding process. How do you get involved in something like that? How, you know, what was sort of the process of getting adopted into that and then walk us through a little bit of the story of because i know that you know y combinator is one of them but you guys have thrown, gone through a number of different startup competitions and some of these other accelerators what what is sort of that ecosystem look uh, look like right now yeah definitely um so why why combinator is probably well it's hailed as the best accelerator um but they're essentially the first to market with the accelerator model. So what they typically do is they vet startups that they see that have high potential in both um, you know, product, market, and team, like market size. Um, and basically it's a three months program, right? So they bring startups in, it's a really, they go through a rigorous vetting process. Um, the acceptance rate is like 0 0.2 or 0.3%. It's like harder to get in, hard, even harder to get in. Like the acceptance rate are, are like even lower than getting to Harvard. Uh, but essentially it's like the holy grail in accelerator programs, right? Like Y Combinator is 
like hailed the best because you have to look at all the companies that kind of went through Y Combinator, like Airbnb, Dropbox, Drive, Zapier, DoorDash, like all these unicorns. And every year they have companies that just keep IPOing, right? Like if you look at Ginkgo Bioworks, they recently did an IPO. And it's just the amount of, um, you know, the ecosystem and what Y Combinator used to be is they only have one, one office, which is in Mountain View. And then later, I think uh, they went to uh, San Francisco. But the idea is that they want to bring startups into, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, right? Because that is the graph. They feel like it's a gravitational pull for all sort of startup opportunity. It's very different than other accelerator program. If you look at Techstars or 500 Startups, they have different offices in different cities. Um, because their, um, you know, their model is they wanted to foster a tech environment in that city specifically, right? Whereas there's only YY Combinator, um, essentially. So um, the program itself is really hard to get into. Um, and what happens after you get in is, you know, starting since last year, um, actually, yeah, last summer, they moved to a remote batch. But before that, uh, what you do is you send in an application you know, talk about your product team. Uh, we even recorded, me and Vince actually recorded a one minute founder video, right? Just to kind of, you know, talk about what we're building. Um, it's really for the partners to really get to know about the founders and what they're passionate about in terms of building, right? And once you send in the application, um, a bunch of group partners will actually read over that. And if they like your application enough, they will actually send you an invitation for a 10 minute interview. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. Wanted to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors. As always, you can learn more information about our sponsors on the affiliate partners page on alderonventures.com. That is A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com, alderonventures.com. Layla Beds, they didn't want to just perfect the way you buy a mattress. Wanted to perfect the mattress itself as well. As we all know, mattresses are incredibly important. Getting a good night's sleep could not be more impactful to your day-to-day business, day-to-day life, family, friends, etc. They believe it's a place to rest, rejuvenate, and recharge both your body and your mind. And it's a battery recharger and launching pad for your best awake self. And you can't be the best awake self, best mom or bocce player, listener, boot camper, friend, boss, without the best sleep. And the best sleep unlocks the whole you, the better you, the you that's balanced, ambitious, present. So go check it out, alderonventures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. Layla Beds, they have some fantastic specials going on right now. $200 off a mattress, free pillows, and more. Check it out. And now back to the show. So before moving to a remote bash, the 10 minute interview actually happens uh, in their office. So you literally have to book a ticket to actually fly there to actually meet them in person, right? So the 10 minute interview goes by super fast, notoriously fast. Um, They fire rapid fire questions and they grill you about, you know, what you're building, what's your traction, you know, do people actually want to buy or use your product, right? That's really what they wanted to find out. And if you actually have a solid go-to-market strategy. Um, So now everything is being remote. They will still do the invitation for 10 minutes where you actually do a Zoom call. Um, and it was actually pretty intimidating, I, I have to be honest. We only got in after our third time. The first two times we were you know, being grilled by the partners a lot. Um, I think the first time when we applied, we only got a five minute interview just because one of the partners wanted to clarify some things on our applications, but we did not get a 10 minute interview um, until the second time around. 
but a lot of startups actually don't even get the 10 minute interview after until probably like five, six or multiple applications, right? It's like notoriously hard to get into Y Combinator. Um, and I think after uh, the second interview, uh, the partners like us enough. This was like for the winter 21 batch, uh, but it's just, we have some traction and some, um, you know, some some part of our business that still needs to be proved out more because a large portion of our revenue back then was actually from service-based work, right? We did a project with uh, one of our partners and it was to really use Matador as a geospatial um, development to build out a pandemic monitoring platform, right? To address COVID-19. Um, that was kind of when we started looking at integrations, really building out the product and looking at potential partnership that can, you know, garner us more agnostic, uh, you know, applications and use cases. So third time around, we did the same thing. We submit the application, got a 10 minute interview. And this time it was uh, not as climatic as the as the first time waiting for the results. Because typically what happens is after the interview, no matter it's remote or in person, you have to wait until evening that night, right? So at 7 p.m. typically if you get in, the partners would actually give you a phone call saying, okay, you're in. Uh, if you don't, then they'll send you a rejection email typically like after 8 p.m. or maybe sometimes even up to midnight explaining why they did not decide to fund you. Right. So I think, you know, I stayed up, uh, you know, pretty late. Um, and then the third time around, um, basically, you know, I was telling Vincent that, hey, if we don't get in this time, you know, should we still keep trying to go into Y Combinator or should we just try to, you know, grow the company organically, right? Um, and one of the reasons that we, we really wanted to, you know, strive to get into Y Combinator is because of the resources, um, not just the reputation, but you're also getting mentorship and working with the best of the best, right? Like all these group partners have seen companies that started with two founders, three founders, and grown to like unicorn or like multi-billion dollar valuation, right? So they have seen a lot and they see what works and what doesn't work, right? And that kind of um, advice is really invaluable, especially for a company that is very early stage, as typically at our size. Um, so we actually got uh, the phone call, um, actually, uh, the, the day afterwards. So um, I think it was a bit unorthodox of how we got in. Um, it was a bit of a phone call to verify some things. And then we actually got acceptance through email writing. So it was a bit unorthodox, but then we actually got in and yeah, it was um, it was very climatic, I would say. Uh, when we got in, we were cheering, we were super happy. And then we we're like, okay, so what's next? So uh, going through the program, basically it's three months. Um, every week they would have essentially a check-in, right? So you check in, they put you in different groups of companies that are very similar to your vertical. For us, we a lot of our group members were also in B2B. Um, so mm -hmm. we were also struggling with the same um, problems, right? Like sales cycle, how to onboard clients and just going through that whole process and really, you know, grinding out the startup um, with people that are very similar in your space really offered a lot, a lot of value back to us. Um, and then it was just a lot of pressure because, you know, every week at check-ins, you would see companies that are growing, you know, week over week, they're growing like, you know, their ARR, stuff like that. So it was kind of intimidating at first, but then, you know, we managed to really build good relationships through the program and, have became laser focused coming out of it, right? Because I think the one thing about Y Combinator is that, you know, their motto is make something people want. So they want you to really focus on what makes your business successful, the one metric that really you should laser on and just keep building towards that, like eliminate all the distraction and noise and just focus on getting that one metric uh, up. And um, yeah, that's 
pretty much all they do is teach us to focus, focus, focus. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that context. You mentioned briefly um, in, in that uh, response there, um, ARR. Annual recurring revenue. Okay. So, so I'm, 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 glad I, I'm glad I asked because that, that, I want you to talk a little bit about that. I'm curious, um, was, the, was your ARR, was that a part of the you know, vetting or qualification process into Y Combinator, or is that not something that they were focused on? Is that more sort of a, a back, back end like they're going to help you with that number? I think when we when we got in, I in the beginning, I think for most companies, you know, if it depends on what vertical you're in, right? If you're in the consumer space, if your if your business model, if your startup is more user based, then they typically wouldn't look too much into the traction in terms of like your recurring revenue. But whereas with us, it's more B two B, it's more enterprise, um, so we're more revenue driven than user based. Um, because we don't have that many users, right? Like you can, we can compare ourselves to something like TikTok or, you know, DoorDash, right? There's like, you know, hundreds of millions of users. Uh, whereas with us, it's more of a penetrative account base. So mm-hmm. that's why they wanted to see, you know, I think the metric that really defines a successful business to business company in the very early stage is, you know, how much revenue do they have and, you know, how long it took them to get to that revenue stage, right? So that's why revenue was sort of important for them to consider us getting in. No, that absolutely makes sense. You know, I'm curious, uh, um, either one of you guys, if you want to um, jump in here, uh, it seems like there's some conversation re- uh, recently, maybe it's COVID driven, maybe this was a trend that was happening prior to COVID, but um, but the, you know, the Silicon Valley sort of ecosystem has seemed to bleed a lot into New York City. They're, they're, um, I know that Vancouver is a major hub for, for a lot of these things. Talk to me about sort of where, I'm curious where Canada and maybe um, in general, or just talking about, uh, you know, uh, BC or, or Vancouver, where does that sit sort of in comparison to a Silicon Valley? I mean, is that as apples to apples? Are they completely different? And then, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on sort of, uh, yeah, I, I should, I hesitate to say apples Give me your, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, uh, that's a good question, actually. We're smiling because uh, we have gone through multiple, uh, we have gone through different areas, um, startup system, ecosystem, and like in some, nothing compared to the Silicon Valley one, um, based, based on our recent experience with the YC uh, hype there, like um, things just got, just move so much faster, um, you know, really like when we're talking to investors, for example, they're not really looking at the risk side of things they're looking for. Most of them are driven by what we call the fear of missing out. Uh, they want to mm-hmm. make sure that they're participating in the company re- regardless of the risks. Uh, because that's that's how they think, like in terms of the YC community or the Silicon Valley community here. Whereas in comparison, I think uh, my experience, at least with the Canadian investors or, or ecosystem is more at risk averse. Um, they do a lot more checking and understand, trying to understand the whole the whole business model. And, and uh, generally, the process takes a lot longer comparatively. We, uh, for example, we were able to start opening around, talking to investors and being able to close around within three months, uh, like hit our target within three weeks. Um, that's the speed of, um, and, and we're, we're with the luck, one of the lucky ones that we actually hit our target before the demo day. And we, we will talk a little bit more about the demo day and the hype afterwards, but yeah, but in, in comparison, like the fundraising events in, um, I would say anywhere else or in Canada would typically take, you know, two, three months to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, for sure is giving us back a lot of time. Like we were kind of scheduling our, 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 our schedule to be like, let's, let's craft out at least two months 
of our schedule to do the fundraising. For those who know, like fundraising is a full-time job, so not more. Um, and we we're crafting that out. But like we, we, were, we were super surprised that we were able to close it so fast and giving us back that many weeks to continue running the business and so on. So I think that's um, actually probably part of the successful stories of uh, part of the reason why a lot of the successful stories are coming out from the Silicon Valley is that there are a lot of uh, just quick decision making, you know, um, allowing people to just allowing founders to be focusing on building a business rather than kind of managing the investor relationship or, or mm -hmm. trying to raise funds. Yeah. So and uh, but at the same time, like this round of uh, Y Combinator experience, uh, they're all full, fully remote, uh, our batch. And they in our even in our group. Um, they kind of separate the batch into four groups. Uh, there are over 300 companies and uh, they grouped us into four batches. Um, and in our batch, it's more like a B2B company. And even in ours, uh, we have uh, companies from Vietnam, uh, India, you know, South America, uh, Canada. There, there are two other companies in Canada as well in, in our current batch. Um, and of course, like majority is still in the States, but I think uh, by setting it as a remote batch, they are as well, they're exposing uh, Y Combinator and their footprint on, um, you know, uh, the worldwide ecosystem. Um, I think the, this year is one of the, yeah, it's actually, there are three companies, uh, three Canadian companies going into the YC batch this year, which is the, the most, I think, um, compared to the past. And uh, the number of companies, like I said, it's like over 300 companies. So at the end of the day, like in, during the demo day, which used to be like a five minutes on stage, you have like a spotlight on you. You can actually finish your pitch down to now. You have to run through it within one minute and one minute time slot, one after another. And so the pressure is just on for a company to make the best use of that one minute and and basically the whole program too like it, it runs through three uh three months you have to make sure that you have a good story to tell at the end of the three months whether it's your uh ar you know in, uh projection is moving upward or or you have another you know uh, attractive story to tell the investors to to make them interest interested so uh, the setting is definitely a lot different um but going back to your question um that is an eye-opening experience, um, kind of coming out as a Canadian company, walking into a Silicon Valley hype, you know, seeing how things actually happen uh, uh, for real. It's it's like uh, unreal. So I'm curious, um, Sean, you know, for, um, for those that are maybe listening today that are not familiar with the startup space and, and a lot of the things that maybe we've talked about thus far are sort of going over their head a little bit, you know, just because of the unfamiliarity. Um, one of the things that I find that I find really fascinating in this space is that it seems like a lot of the venture capital money and a lot of, you know, I guess a lot of the, the, the larger buckets of capital seem to have this mentality of if you're a young startup and you're profitable, that's a bad thing because that means you're not spending enough. You're not, you don't have enough in ad spend or you don't have enough pushing enough you know, money out the door. I'm curious, do you agree with that statement? Do you think that I'm right that that seems to be sort of pervasive across the industry or is that a bad, is, am, I, am I incorrect in sort of making that seem like it's a larger um, you know, deal than, than, than it may be? And do you agree with that? I mean, do you agree with, uh, you know, sort of in the ramp up of a startup, where where would you sort of weight ad spend and, and you know, spending money as opposed to profit? Where Where is the importance on that equilibrium? I'm just curious what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, uh, most definitely. And I think to answer your question, Ben, I think it really depends on, you know, what type of business, uh, you know, you can be a marketplace, um, you know, you can be uh, e-commerce, right? Um, so with e-commerce and marketplace or more consumer facing app, you would typically spend a lot on ad spend, um, getting your name out there on social media, you know, spending a lot on Facebook ads and as well as, you know, for some companies, they also do LinkedIn ads. For us, we did a lot of LinkedIn ads, uh, but I can tell you that um, no matter what stage of company you're in, uh, spending a lot of money in the beginning before you really have product market fit is actually a really suicidal for a startup. Uh, what I mean by that is, especially this is a case with most startups that actually take investor money, is that after they finish raising, after they finish fundraising, um, investor would always question your burn rate, right? So burn rate, for those that don't know, is essentially, um, you know, how much you're spending per month, right? Um, and then runway is essentially how, you know, how many months, like the clock is ticking, right? How many months or how many days before you actually run out of money and you have to like go get a job somewhere, right? That's basically runway. So um, a lot of times what investors do is after they put money into your company, um, they would always try to question, um, you know, um, why aren't you guys spending enough? Why aren't you guys, you know, growing? Like, why is your runway still so long, right? And they want you to spend money as fast as possible, right? It's only beneficial for, uh, you know, some of the investors to do that simply because, like, you know, you would um, maybe later on raise, get a less favorable round for yourself, or it really depends on different situations, right? But the problem is that a lot of startups just keep thinking they have to spend money hiring, spending money on ads, for example, just to get their name out there. But you have to really realize that do you actually have a problem that's worth solving, right? Or do you have a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? So I think you have to really figure that part out before you have to spend a lot of money on ads. Um, just to give you an example, right? We actually have an example where me and Vincent, we actually worked on another consumer app uh, before, like, you know, before Matador, actually during Matador. Um, it was with one of our mutual friends who was a manager at an auto body shop. So the idea was to build an app that essentially allows you to take photos of your damaged vehicle when you get into a car accident. And basically you can upload the photos onto the platform and you get nearby bids from body shops that's on the platform, right? And the value proposition for drivers is that you will never have to drive around to different body shops with your broken car to shop for estimates, right? You can just get it at, you know, right at your palm or your fingertips. Um, it sounds great, but if you actually, um, you know, look into the business, it's just a low addressable needs, right? And we were spending a lot of money on Facebook ads. Like we, like we were not really familiar with consumer marketing. So this was like two and a half years ago. We actually hired someone. We contracted that part out and we hired someone to do marketing for us. And, you know, I think one and a half months later, after running through a campaign, we still had no clue. Right. And then we were spending, we were burning a lot of money on like Facebook ads. And I can tell you the thing about Facebook ads or Google hours is that it's an endless abyss, right? If you don't know what you're keeping track of, if you don't have a product that people are actually engaging on, you're just burning a lot of money at the end of the day. Right. Because it's kind of like you have to pay to play, especially for consumer marketing. So that was the issue that we faced. And, you know, we had to park that idea on the side ever since COVID hit. Um, and one of the biggest lessons that we can learn from that is before you determine whether or not this is a high addressable need. So for consumer app, it either needs to be two things, right? You need to have enough frequency of, you know, users on the platform. And the second thing is for marketplaces, like the one that we built, you need to have good interaction on the platform, right? And we were just not seeing enough of that. So spending money on ads um, did not really help us at all. So I think the takeaway is to summarize it is, you know, before you spend any money on ads, make sure that you actually have 
um, you know, a solution to a problem that's actually worth solving, right? Instead of building a solution to a problem that probably doesn't even exist, right? It's just something that's nice to have, but it's not necessary for everyone to, you know, to experience. Absolutely. What uh, what size team right now? How many people do you have at Matador? Right now we have uh, seven people and we have a number of contractors as well. So total, we have about a team of uh, 15. And uh, you mentioned, uh, um, and I think I said it in the intro there, uh, Sean, you mentioned briefly before we, we launched today that you guys are looking to potentially grow the team and, and maybe even looking to be, uh, bring on some BD people in the in the U.S. domestic market. Talk to me a little bit about that. About that. What's, what's the next 12 months or so look like for you guys in that front? Yeah, so for us, we really wanted to grow our team. So, uh, you know, ever since coming out of Y Combinator, uh, we basically went from fundraising mode into hiring mode, right? And I think, um, you know, hiring is one of the most important things, uh, you know, any startups uh, should have. Um, it's an often an underlooked skill set um, in terms of hiring. And we went through a really uh, rigorous hiring process to really identify a business development executive, right? So just to kind of put it out there, you know, our team is actually growing and we need all the help we can get to actually expand into the U.S. market. So uh, where we wanted to really grow is within Texas, because obviously Texas, you know, is one of the largest world producing state, right? Next to like Louisiana, Oklahoma um, and other uh, territories there. And, you know, we have some connections down there, um, you know, like with yourself. So, yeah, we're always looking for opportunities to really grow our team. And I think we really have a compelling story here because we're bringing a really innovative and novel solution to a conventional industry like oil and gas, but it's not just limited to oil and gas, right? Essentially a project management on a life map like Matador can also be used on other verticals that's adjacent to oil and gas, right? Like renewables, clean energy, wind, solar, um, you know, civil engineering, planning, agriculture. And because we have a really novel solution, um, so this role would essentially be a really high growth potential role within the company, right? Able to really grow with the team and tackle large markets. So, yeah. Um, so we're looking for, you know, any BD sales rockstar that we can really find to really help, you know, grow with the company and ultimately make the natural resource sector a bit more sustainable, right? By improving the way we collaborate in the field. Absolutely. And if people want to reach out to you, learn more about Matador in general, but or maybe you know, look at the opportunities that you guys have, uh, you know, each of you guys or collectively, where can they reach you? Where can they find more information about Matador? Obviously, the, you know, the website, but, but, but maybe where else? Yeah, uh, you can find us on, um, you know, we have Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it's just Matador. So M-A-T-I-D-O-R.com. Uh, so you can find us there. Um, you can also connect with me and Vincent as well on LinkedIn. So it's just Vincent Lam, search M-A-T-I-D-O-R afterwards, and myself, uh, so it's Sean Huang, and at Matador as well. So, yeah, we're pretty active um, on LinkedIn. I would say LinkedIn probably takes up 90% of our time. I don't use any other social media. So um, besides the Facebook company page, Twitter, other than that, most of my time is probably spent on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn is, is, you know, it's interesting. I was about to say LinkedIn is a fantastic networking tool. And while it is, I would I would tell you that, you know, to my mind, and, and as the tech guys, you probably, uh, you know, have some stronger feelings, but the, the execution of the platform leaves a lot to be desired in a lot of different ways. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. Especially uh, they had the stories, right? They had, they used to have LinkedIn stories. I just, I just mm -hmm. think that was, um, I wouldn't call it a redundant feature, but I feel like, you know, it's something that's not really, uh, it shouldn't coexist inside LinkedIn as a user interaction, right? I just feel like, yeah, it's something that's kind of extra at the end of the day. 
All right. Thanks for listening to the show. Really appreciate the support. Guys, if you're from West Texas or another area in the country that doesn't have access to high quality fresh fish on a daily basis, you know the struggle of, you know, you just want a good quality cut of salmon, halibut, cod, maybe some lobster, shrimp, calamari, scallops, something. But you just can't find it at the supermarket. Guys, Sizzlefish is the answer. Mission is simple. They want you to eat well and live better. It makes a huge difference. They have a fantastic website. It's super easy to buy, subscribe, get discounts, etc. Check it out. Alderonventures.com backslash affiliate dash partners and scroll to the link for Sizzlefish. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link in the show notes for you guys. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And with that, let's get you back into the show. Thanks, guys. This scene, obviously, you know, I'm in oil and gas and do a number of other things. And when we've been sort of talking under the energy umbrella thus far, it seems like there are a number of other use cases for the for the platform that have nothing to do with energy. Where at current, you know, is the customer base and the customer focus? Is it energy specific or is it a wider mandate? Who are you guys interfacing with on the client side? Um, most of the time, we're uh, we're still working mostly with the energy and environmental companies uh, at the moment because that's uh, where we started off, like doing our interviews and and uh, validation market validations. And we have uh, some network uh, in Alberta that we're connecting with, so it's the what we call the lowest hanging fruit or the niche market that we're tackling. Um, but as we're kind of uh, becoming more, uh, like our brand is starting to grow, companies such as uh, MNP, Unity, they are coming uh, to us and say, hey, uh, we love your geospatial platform and the intuitiveness of your interaction. Like, can we do something different than oil and gas? And um, interestingly, like the, the platform itself or the technology is quite agnostic. Like mapping, it can be applied to anywhere, uh, utilities, agriculture, you name it. And what we have here is a very stellar team already kind of uh, with a tool that can be tailored to fit any other uh, industries. Um, and the COVID pilot uh, project that you just saw is one of the, the example that they, we were able to build the entire funnel from uh, public data sourcing to cleansing the data to representing it on a map um, in within just six months. Um, so normally that kind of project will take you know a year or two uh, when it involves machine learning and architectural setup and all these uh, geospatial infrastructure. Uh, we we're talking about like gathering a team of 30 people and uh, making it uh, available for public usage uh, within six months. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the push by the COVID situation as well. Like we want it to be live as quickly as possible so that people can start using it during the COVID um, um, uh, situation. And um, so that gave us also um, a, uh, you, know, you know, the ability and capacity to, to do a bit of consultation on the GIS side, like we would uh, actually look into uh, helping companies, for example, currently working on uh, urban planning situation. Um, like we, our platform can be used to tailor, uh, to create uh, different scenarios of the piping between buildings and so to minimize the uh, energy loss. Uh, when they're kind of uh, uh, transfer, transferring the heat and, and water system between uh, between the different buildings. So there are a lot of use cases that are definitely uh, useful and could use a lot of intuitiveness, <laughs> like uh, such as Matador. Uh, not saying that existing AutoCAD or existing uh, GIS system cannot do the job, but most of the time they require highly technical people to operate it. 
And uh, basically what we're doing is that we're turning that uh, used to be a complex um, uh, platform into a non-technical, you know, everyday user type of uh, uh, interface. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I think a sort of underserved or under talked about dynamic in the oil field, um, specifically in the energy space, is this concept of, you know, yeah, it'd be great to be able to onboard, you know, this and that technology. But in order for us to train the people in order how like how to use it or in order for us to incorporate that as part of our process that that's you know there's no way we, we can do that we're too we're too big or we whatever what, what have you right and this tool is one of these where it's it's a I, you know, I'm not gonna say, I hesitate to say plug and play but but it is a very to your point it's a very low-hanging fruit sort of you know common you know listen if you understand the dynamic of, of what you're working in putting this on the platform is an easy jump and i think that's really important because I, I can't tell you how many and you again you guys probably have seen this many more times than i given your space but i can't tell you how many times i see a software platform that is just way too cumbersome and, and complex for its own good it's just for the sake of whoever was building on the back end they wanted to put all these tools in or whatever but you know in terms of the ui the user experience the user interface you know it, it leaves a lot you know i guess the ux sorry but it, it leaves a lot lacking uh, and one that's one of the things that i've been massively impressed with with matador that this is something that you know if, if you're if you're at all computer efficient this this is easy yeah making it uh simple is actually a very hard uh, problem uh, so uh, we we started off with making it simple from the back end like like from a coding perspective like we try to write the the least number of uh, lines of codes as possible to begin with, like, like to keep it uh, streamlined, but then all the way trigger down to the user experience uh, side of things. It's like, how can we make sure one click can do the job instead of uh, having to to make it three, right? Like it's a constant mindset that we, our team, our entire product team have been kind of uh, challenging ourselves. Um, how can we make it as simple as possible? And in fact, um, we did a study with our existing clients and our prospect and asking them, hey, why, are you signing up with Med or like what what what's what is the number one product uh, project problem that we're solving? And to our surprise, the, all of them mentioned intuitive. Uh, Matador is super intuitive for them to onboard and and use, and that seems to be driving the decision and moving towards uh, the Matador over any other things like oh budget budget saving budget uh, uh, monitoring you know efficiency all these things that are pretty pretty common i would i would say like everybody claims that they they are they're efficient like they can bring more efficiency into the you know with technology of course they can bring efficiency but the challenge is that if you don't have people using it you can't achieve that so it has to start with user user interaction um and we have our uh, we are recently launching our signature two-week onboarding program we guarantee a two-week value delivery uh you know within two weeks of your signing up like a lot of our companies uh clients are afraid of spending time in just because they don't have the time to switch systems like uh, what we call the slowing down uh or slowing down to, to shopping your ex um when mm -hmm. you're busy cutting trees um so we launch a program called uh, a two-week onboarding programs saying that if you are not satisfied within the first two weeks <laughs> 
and you can walk away basically. And that's the guarantee that we that, that's a guarantee that we're offering people. And in fact, we we have start seeing companies saying that I don't actually need two weeks. <laughs> Within a week, I have everything set up and ready to go already using your platform. So that's the power of uh, being intuitive. Yeah, it might be it might be the challenge of having. I think this is my fourth or fifth podcast of the day. When I said easy, I was searching for the word intuitive. Thank you, Vincent. That's that's a much <laughs> that's a much that's a much more apt word. Thank you. <laughs> so I know we're we're running a little bit uh, you know um, tight on time here, so, but I've got a couple other questions that I want that I want to make sure um, t- to get out. Um, um, th- and by the way, both of you, if this is a punt question, if you have no commentary, that's fine because it's a little bit outside the box. But it's dovetailing on something I was talking to uh, to Ryan Ray, who's my co-host on something you know on a podcast earlier today. We were talking about where do you see and uh, uh, Sean, I know you mentioned LinkedIn, but where do you guys see social media at, at, in general, sort of in this as as far as you guys are concerned, I mean, is that something that you need to have a face, a presence on on multiple channels to sort of have the you know the the again just kind of have the optics? Or you know, Sean, are you you know are you more focused on LinkedIn because you guys are more focused on direct relationships? Talk to me about sort of how social media has entered the picture for you guys. I'm curious. Yeah, so um, I think social media is always, um, you know, there's two sides of a, of a coin, right? I think, you know, through different documentaries, um, you know, there's a couple on Netflix that, you know, basically describes, especially with the recent, uh, you know, Facebook issue, right, the outage problems. And I think social media can be used for good and bad. Um, I think uh, on the bad side, you have people relying on social media too much, right? Um, you know, they're looking for social media for any sort of attention, um, looking for that to kind of validate their existence. Uh, but ironically, companies do that, right? We look to, you know, have a presence on LinkedIn to validate our, our existence, but in a different manner. Um, and I think for me, um, I don't have Instagram. Um, you know, we do have an Instagram that was with our uh, previous company, like the consumer app. But everything, everything I try to post online, even on my own personal, if you look at my personal Facebook, which I hardly use these days, except it's just sharing my company, company stuff, right? It's all about work. It's all about building a presence. It's all about building, you know, your own personal brand, right? And I know there's so many different sources talking about personal brand, like that gets thrown around a lot, like ESG, right, for example. Um, But I just feel like people should really leverage different channels um, to really drive and actually deliver their message in terms of what they're passionate about and actually getting inspiring other people to actually follow that same path. For example, um, you know, I know a lot of my friends are recently starting their own business. They saw what I'm doing online and it's, it's good, right? Um, it's inspiring. And at the same time, they look for me for advice because I built that brand in terms of, you know, starting my own startups, you know, going through the grind. Um, but yeah, it's also, I think when you get to a certain point, as a as a business owner um per se is that uh whatever you say or whatever you post online holds a lot of weight um so i think you have a lot of social responsibility once you get to a certain point almost like a politician right um it's just you know you have so many people kind of you know looking on you online as a presence uh you really have to be careful about what you're saying online things like that and i think social media sometimes it becomes a really great tool to really bring out your personal brand but at the same time, it's also restrictive in a way. And I think nowadays I spend a lot more time on LinkedIn because LinkedIn for me is not just about building a presence, building a brand, uh, you know, promoting my company. But it's also for me to really network and actually social with, you know, colleagues and like-minded folks, right? Um, and you just don't find that on any other platform. Like I tried Alignable, which is a networking platform. 
that one is great. That one is more for like networking rather than there's also like Shaper. They call it like, you know, like Tinder for, for business where you actually like swipe and actually match people. Uh, but it's actually, yeah, I still find LinkedIn the most useful because every social media networking I, networking apps out there or social media is always leading back to LinkedIn, right? I think LinkedIn is basically, you know, when, when we look at candidates, for example, we always look at, you know, for example, if they have enough endorsement on LinkedIn or what do people say about them, right? I think LinkedIn nowadays holds a lot more weight than just your standard resume as well. So yeah, that's kind of my mixed take on uh, social media. I'm not sure if that, you know, really answers it, but uh, it's just, you know, I have different, you know, um, different conceptions on, uh, on on social media per se, just based on my personal experience and from work. Yeah, I mean, in, in brief, something, again, going back to what we were talking about before uh, on previous podcast of mine uh, earlier today, some of the points that we were talking about is, you know, if you're selling like a ring light, you should probably be on TikTok. If you're selling Matador software, you probably don't need to be on TikTok. If you're, you know, conversely though, if you're selling some widget that a 12 year old's gonna buy, you probably don't need to be on LinkedIn. And and so I think it's sort of curating to your audience and making sure, to your point, you know, being present, but being present in the right rooms and, and the rooms that are gonna, you know, uh, create some value as opposed to just sort of carpet bombing for the sake of, of being out there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, even though uh, I would say that like uh, for oil and gas or energy in general or conventional industry in general, like nothing beats the hand the power of handshaking. So you still yeah. need the in-person interaction. You know, LinkedIn is just an add-on, if you will. That's our experience. No, that's, I think you're exactly right. And so that, um, to that end, I'm curious, uh, you guys being up, uh, you know, up north, um, are there any conferences coming up that people may be able to um, to find you at? Or do you guys are you guys making the circuit at this point on on uh, at the conferences yeah uh we're going to be at uh ramtech so ramtech is called a remediation technology conference uh, which caters to a lot of the environmental consultants service companies working oil and gas and it's held at banff on october 13 to 15. Um, and the association behind it is the environmental services association of alberta so esa for short we'll actually be back in houston so i was gonna tell you ben it's great if we can also catch up in person as well because we're going to be in town for world petroleum congress as well from december 59 at houston okay. um yep. going to be part of the canadian pavilion and as well we're going to be speaking at the event on december 14 to 15 in houston as well uh which is osha i think it's the oil and gas environmental conference it used to be ogenb um but they changed it to osha or something like that if, if i call we call correctly so those threes would be the, you know, the bigger conferences that we're hoping, you know, we can actually catch, you know, some of you fine folks in the audience there as well. Yeah, you know, and, and I know it's got quite a, a bit in the future, a little bit farther in the future than that. Are you guys planning to be at the uh, the, the NAEP Summit in February in Houston? Yes, I, I think we probably will, but we just have to really solidify a use case. We're working on that. Yeah, yeah so uh, yeah. we're just, we're just for every association or every event, one of our strategies is to at least get a use case, get a pilot, get something going in that direction. So it actually justifies us going there, right? Um, so we have a better time in terms of engaging people, talking to clients at the event. So that's kind of our strategy so far. It has been working pretty well. So 
yeah, hopefully we can also make it to Nape again in February. Well, that's, uh, that sounds great. Um, before I give you guys uh, one more shot, at, uh, just some, any parting thoughts, or, or um, and I'm giving you one more chance to uh, tell people where they can find you. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm hoping this is the first of many with you guys, uh, you know, uh, being partners with you guys uh, with the fund. Looking forward to you know, talking about the story some more. Maybe on a future uh, future podcast, we can uh, you know do a product demo and, and get into some more of the specifics and kind of some some more of the granularity. But uh, for, with with that, really appreciate you both coming on. Fantastic information, really great conversation. One more time, Vince, if you want to start us off, and then Sean, you can uh, you, know, you can uh, follow up. Where can they find you? And then uh, if you've got, like I said, if you have any parting thoughts. Yeah, the best way to find us is uh, hit our website down there, www.matidor.com. And uh, you can find me searching Vincent Lam Matador um, and happy to connect with you and uh, follow up afterwards. So I second what Vincent says. I don't I don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, th- like I said, th- thank you both for taking the time. I know we're, uh, we're in a little bit uh, uh, long today, so we're going to go ahead and sign off. But, uh, um, you know, like like they said, if you want to hear more information, please reach out. Uh, you know, and if you have any questions, they are, you know, they're they're both uh, you know very hungry, as you can tell, to uh, to help out and, and see if there's a good fit. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off, guys. If you want to hop off, uh, uh, great. But I'm just going to go quick sign off of the show. Really appreciate you guys both joining us. Uh, appreciate the time. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having us. Catch you later, then. All right, and that is a wrap. I am your host, Ben Samuels. This has been another episode of Coffee and Liquidity. Appreciate the support. Appreciate you guys showing up. Go ahead and check out alderonventures.com for more information about what we've got going on and future episode releases. Thanks, guys.